technology is really impacting our daily life, sometimes without us knowing. And it's important that we start understanding or relearning what is ABCDFG. In the future of business or future of work, it's very important to know about technology, whether you are technologist or not. There are many usage or use cases of technology that a non-traditional, non-techy people needs to learn and know how to use them. Hey everyone, my name is Henry Suryawirawan, and you're listening to the Tech Lead Journal, the show where I'll be bringing you the greatest technical leaders, practitioners, and thought leaders in the industry to discuss about their journey, ideas, and practices that we all can learn and apply to build a highly performing technical team and to make an impact in your personal work. So let's dive into our journal. Hello everyone, this is Henry Suryawirawan. I'm back here again with another new episode of the Tech Lead Journal podcast. Thanks for tuning in and spending your time with me today listening to this episode. If you haven't, please subscribe to Tech Lead Journal on your favorite podcast apps and also follow Tech Lead Journal social media channels on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you'd like to make some contribution to the show and support the creation of these podcasts, please subscribe as a patron at techleadjournal.dev patron and help me towards producing great content every week. For today's episode, I had a fun conversation with Jim Lim. Jim Lim is the founder of the Sociotechno Network 59ST Ventures, the healthcare sector lead for NCS, and previously the CEO of Good Doctor Technology. If you're wondering based on the episode title whether we are going to relearn how to spell the alphabets, Worry not, as the A, B, C, D, E, F, G are only the shorthand for a set of modern, immersive technologies that are rapidly affecting our daily life, and sometimes without us even knowing or realizing it. A, B, C, D, E, F, G stands for AI, Blockchain, Cloud, Data, Ecosystem, and 5G. So, in this episode, we are going to hear and learn from Jim on how these set of new technologies have impacted and are going to impact our life in near future. Jim also shared with me his unique multicultural career journey and the reasons why he started 59ST Ventures as a way to pay it forward and contribute back to the society. I personally learned a lot from Jim about the 5G technologies and the massive potential that it could offer once it gets more wide adoption. And I hope that many of you could also benefit out of this episode. If you like it, please leave this episode a rating, a review or comment on your podcast app or social media channels. Those reviews and comments are one of the best ways to help me get this podcast to reach more listeners. And hopefully, they can also benefit from the contents in this podcast. So let's get this episode started right after our sponsor message. Are you looking for a new cool swag? Techlit Journal now offers you some swags that you can purchase online. These swags are printed on demand based on your preference and will be delivered safely to you all over the world where shipping is available. Check out all the cool swags available by visiting techlitjournal.dev/shop and don't forget to brag yourself once you receive any of those swags. Hey everyone, welcome to another new show of the Tech Lead Journal. Today I have with me someone who is very experienced in the industry. His name is Jim Lim. So let me read a little bit about Jim, his biography. Jim is actually currently the founder of 59ST Ventures, 
So it's actually a social techno network company focusing in leveraging expertise and experiences and connections of the senior executives globally to contribute back to the society. I'll let Jim explain further what it means by this company. He's also currently the healthcare sector lead for NCS, which is tasked to build digital healthcare ecosystem and to expand NCS footprint regionally. Jim also sits in the board of startup companies in China, Taiwan, Singapore, India. Prior to this, Jim was the CEO of Good Doctor Technology, a joint venture between Ping An and Grab. And before that, he was also a global CTO in Huawei Technologies and all that. There are so many things from Jim. So it's really a pleasure to meet you and also have a chance to talk with you. I hope that we can have a great conversation today. Welcome, Jim, to the show. Hey, thanks, Henry. Thanks, thanks for giving me a chance to share some of my experiences. I think it's great to be able to be on your show because I heard a lot of good things about this show and many tech leaders highly recommend to join your podcast. Yeah, so that we can actually share some of our feel about technology, how we actually get started. In my particular case, I'm very interested to see how technology and sociology or society can be linked together. And that's one of the reasons why we founded 59 ST Ventures, where ST stands for Social Techno. It's a social techno networking of like-minded people since 2017. I'm sure it's very exciting. Before we start and going into that area, maybe for you to introduce yourself to my audience first. Because I know I've read your biography a lot, but many people might not have heard about you. Maybe you can specifically mention your highlights or major turning points in your career. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Henry. So there are two parts. Actually, I gave a similar talk before to ITE students, to my alma mater, which is Hua Chong Institution, and also poly students before and university. Yeah. So there's two parts of me. One is the corporate titles, where like you mentioned, I'm a founder of this 59ST Ventures Network. I worked for NCS as the healthcare sector lead. I was founding CEO of Good Doctor Technology, which is a joint venture between Grab and others. And I worked for an Israeli company. I worked for Indian companies. I worked for Accenture, which was Anderson Consulting. So these are my corporate titles and I play different roles in this corporate world. But when I talk to the students, usually how I like to introduce myself is that I'm actually a globetrotter who likes to try many different things. So I have two slides that I will send it to you. But these slides, when I present, I actually usually start with, I started working as an intern in Telecom Authority of Singapore. Today it's called IMDA, that's back in 1997. So I start building applications for the company during my internship. And I also founded company during my university day called Home Run Networks, which today we look at all the web searching for home, whether it's iProperty or some others. We were like the four founder back in 1997 to do something similar. I think the biggest foundation that was built was when I was in Anderson Consulting. I joined year 2000 in Anderson Consulting before it changed its name to Accenture on 010101, which is the 1st January 2001. So Accenture, I spent about five and a half years there. If you ask me, that is my strongest foundation. It's all about exploration and foundation building. There's a lot of hard work resilience. You probably have heard that working in a consulting firm like Accenture, there's a lot of late hours, long hours, weekends, and so forth. And you are supposed to work with people who are much senior than you. We talk to the C-level to draft out strategy, to draft out technology, to build systems. And we have to lead, even during my time when I was like only 23, 25 years old, I have to lead a team of people who are much older than me from the client side. So these are a lot of learning and you have to really learn how to get the knowledge of many of the people and become yours and improvise. And then because you know what is the to be systems or to be processes, 
so you can actually leverage on and digesting, breaking down information and becoming yours and giving them good advices. So I will say Accenture in a consulting world built very strong foundations of my analytical thinking because I was involved in multidisciplinary work from process work, technology work, organization performance, reorg, organization design and strategy. So there's a lot of foundation building during that part of my career. Of course, at the same time, I maintain some of my, whether is it life core values, which also extended to my career from my school days to essential building. So things like hard work and resilience to perfections, pay it forward. We actually learn a lot from our seniors, whether is it during my school days or Accenture days. Some C-levels that are so good, you probably cannot repay them enough. So one way that they have taught me to is to pay it forward. If you cannot repay someone who is more senior than you and much more established because you are not there yet, then one way is to pay it forward. That's why I'm nurturing as an industry mentor for young NTUC currently and also university. Yeah. And of course, in Accenture work, we do large system implementation, transformation, process work. That one is actually a lot about teamwork and team spirit. So we learn how to work as a team. And at the same time, win-win. We want to win together with the clients as well. So win-win is another core values. Last but not least, entrepreneurship. Because we are doing a lot of things for the first time. Nobody in the world has done a certain system or process. That's where the entrepreneurship spirit needs to also happen in a corporate world. So if you ask me, I highly treasure my days in Accenture, although it was very tough. Then I move on to what I call establishment. I establish myself in the industry, getting known to companies and get headhunted. At the same time, there's reflections and achievements as well. Because every time I achieve something, I will ask myself what I can do. Can I do more? Is this what I'm doing right or am I doing something wrong or I have more learnings? So there's a lot of reflections after I left Accenture and I want to expose myself to multicultural, multidisciplinary, multi-locations. So I spent about 15 years traveling outside Singapore most of the time from joining companies like Tech Mahindra. It was called Mahindra British Telecom. So it's an Indian and British joint venture, totally different from an American Singaporean culture. Then I joined MDOCS which is really a Jewish kind of company. Most of my managements are from Israel or they are Jewish. So again, it's totally different direct culture as compared to indirect culture from the Indian side of things. Then I joined Chinese company like Huawei, which is what is known as a wolf culture. Then I joined Ping An, Good Doctor, as the founding CEO for the joint venture with Grab in Southeast Asia. And then now I'm with NCS. So if you ask me, I try to experience very different culture, working and trying to assimilate myself into the environment so that I can learn how was it like working for Indian, how was it like working for Jewish, and so on and so forth. And I think that part of learning I treasure a lot because I don't want to just work for a single culture, a single way of doing things because I believe the world is made out of many different races, cultures, and everyone have different ways of achieving success. So I want to learn that. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, I'm very impressed with your a lot of experience. And the key that I pick up here, you seem to chose this path where you want to embrace multiple culture, multiple countries and multiple backgrounds. Maybe you can share with me, for example, what made you make the decision like you wanted to try out different culture background and things like that. Because in this era, we are integrated in multicultural systems in most part of the world. And also diversity and inclusion is also a key message now, right? about embracing this multicultural thing. So maybe you can share a little bit why did you make that decision and how that nurture you to become you yourself at this point in time. Yeah, so actually 
to be very honest, I didn't think much, but I was also a little bit concerned because people like myself graduating from a Singapore university for our bachelor degree, we always try to take the comfortable path, especially I was in Accenture Anderson Consulting. So I can always join like a Singapore company or American culture. That's where many of my peers do. And then you will be used to it. But to me, my life motto has always been YOLO. You only live once. So yes, I can take the traditional path, same as everybody. But I think I have some kind of risk-taking mindset in me because I was actually a Malaysian. And then since age 13, I actually come out all the way by myself, live in a hostel and study secondary school in Singapore. So from there, I like to mix with different types of people. And I did, although it's mainly Southeast Asians, then I start wanting to see how does the world really looks like? Yes, I can be working for an American company or a Singaporean company and be sent overseas, but I may not really always understand how it's like working with the culture itself. That's why I took the plunge and said, let's try. At that time, Opportunity knocks. One of my ex essential manager say, why don't you join Tech Mahindra, Mahindra British Telecom and try it out. You get to the old Indian world to see how is it like. So I took the plunge and go for it. And then subsequently, opportunity knocks again. Israeli company. I was thinking, okay, I can never understand how Israeli work. And there are not many Israeli company hiring in Singapore also. So I thought, okay, it was a very nice try. Let's go for it. So I took the plunge and tried. Of course, I can tell you it was very tough for the initial months trying to know how to work with Indian because they speak a lot of Hindi and other different languages. In India, there are many different languages, even within India. Same thing for Israeli culture. It's very direct culture. We in Singapore usually is a little bit of direct and indirect. So it was quite a shock to me to expose to a very direct culture also. Although I like it now because it makes things easier and it's really, are really very smart people. The Jewish are very smart people. It was very good working experience to learn from them and spar with them on your ideas. I would think that I actually got many good ideas working for Israeli and Jewish. Actually, when I was in Indian and Israeli company, I already worked with Huawei. We become partners and sometimes we're competitors. So I read a lot because I'm very familiar with Chinese culture, but getting into Huawei and work inside is still a different experience. So all in all, I would say I didn't think too much. But maybe because of my background since young that I was able to come out all by myself, live in a hostel, not knowing everybody, start making friends, learn how to live in a totally foreign countries and environment. So I took the plunge. It was tough also, but I learned and I always reflect back when I was young. If you're 13 years old, you can do it. Why can't you do it when you're 20, 30 or 40 years old? So I'm sure like all these experiences and seeing it for yourself, it gives you a lot of different perspectives. And I think that's what the world currently needs as well, because some are trying to come and close the country, right? From the outside influence and perspectives. So I think like having this multicultural view and perspectives is very important at this modern time today. So thanks for sharing that. Another thing that I picked out from your introduction just now is the concept of pay it forward. So you yes. mentioned that you had received a lot of good guidance from the seniors, the executives, and not necessarily sometimes you can give them something back just to express your gratitude or, you know, to say thank you. And the concept here is to pay it forward to the people, maybe less senior than those people, or maybe sometimes junior than you. So yeah. maybe this is also a good time to explain about the 59 ST Ventures. I'm sure it's quite related. Maybe you can share a little bit about this paid forward thing that you mentioned. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Henry. So yeah, definitely 59 ST Ventures, one of the motto is also paid forward. It all started in 2017, me and my JC schoolmate, 
we wanted to take part in a NUS competition, which is a social techno challenge to see how technology can be used to improve the well-being of society. So that's where we actually took part, think of a name of a company and jump in. I have to tell you that we didn't win the competition, but we kind of decided that hey, it's very interesting because we have been working as technologies. And we always say, okay, let's implement large-scale systems, let's transform a company and so on and so forth. And in recent years, digital transformation is such a hot topic. But we also realize, yes, technologies will be useful, but if you can use technology to benefit a larger society, that will be even more meaningful. That's where we also start realizing, because when I formed in 2017, I was 41 years old. So I was thinking already, okay, I have seen my uncles, my seniors, I've seen people who are older than me, or even people who are my age being either retrenched or probably they retired. Some are retiree in their late 40s because they are rich enough to retire. But then if you ask me, it's quite a waste of their talent, experience and network. Many of these people I know, including many of the C-levels, they retire at 50 years old. Then they start retirement work, golf. Okay, that's fine. But after a while, they also feel, hey, you cannot keep on relaxing every day. So that's where I actually thought of, hey, why don't I gather these people I know who has a lot to offer? And we offer as a social networking because I was with Huawei at that time. So I can't uh, set up a company to do that. And I also didn't have the time. So we form a social techno networking where I get many of the retired C-levels or some retrenched people who have good experience and networking or people who just want to look for a change. So we gather them, we discuss a lot, we start coming out with ideas. So it was like social networking, nothing much being done until 2018 where I was a mentor, industry mentor for Young NTUC and I met SUSS Provost, Prost Trikai Chong. He recognized that, hey, you have a lot to offer. I'm very interested to know what we can offer. And then I start talking to them and did some presentation, webinar, seminar at that time. And then they realized that, okay, although we are a social university, SUSS, but it's important, they also understand that it's important for the people, whether it's accountancy, marketing, or so on and so forth, to learn something about technology. That's where I started as myself and subsequently bring in some friends to SUSS and subsequently to NUS to Mian Poly and some other universities or institutions, and even giving talks to ITE to share what are the things that people can use technology for. And this gel in very well in today's world and also today's topic that we want to talk about, ABCDFG, because we also realize that technology is just one part of things. Many ICT professionals look at technology as technology. Yes, we always come up with use cases and business value, but at the end of the day, it's still about technology and about KPIs. But actually, many of the technology we are already using in today's world, and many of them actually can make an impact to life. That's why today, many of the IT companies or ICT companies, the big ones, are talking about sustainability. United Nations have what we call the Sustainability Goal, SDG, Sustainable Development Goals. So I think people are recognizing that you need to match and marry technology together with a bigger society benefit. So this gels in very well with 59ST Ventures motto as well. You don't waste, no waste or minimize waste. So the knowledge, the network and the brain of these people, PMATs also, they actually has a lot to offer and contribute. So we are not wasting any of their talent, experience and networking. And we use that to benefit a younger generation. And that brings back again to pay it forward kind of a vision. So you mentioned ST is social technology, but what is 59? Is there any meaning behind it? <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's very interesting. When we come with 59, there are many reasons. 
First of all, 59, for those in the telecommunication industry, you know what we always call 5.9. 5.9 is a carrier grade, 99.999% availability. So it is something that very trustworthy, right? 5.9 in the telco world is a carrier grade network, very trustworthy. Downtime is very minimized. So that's what we hope ourselves to be, trustworthy, minimal downtime. And also, I realized many of my friends where people turning from 59 to 60 is an age where people start thinking about retirement or retirement planning or some even retired. So that's an age that we see many people is treating as a turning point. Of course, at that time in 2017, something interesting is that we read somewhere that 5-9, that means 9th of May, is the day where elections are held and things are changed. For example, Malaysian changed government after so many years for the first time on the 9th of May. If I'm not wrong, we also heard Philippines did the same on 9th of May. And also we heard Korea had the same. So it's like a moment or a day of change. So we hope that people can change from a retiree mindset or people can change from a pure technology to look at things that benefit the society at large. And of course, those are people who buy gold. Uh, 5.9 is also a very high-grade uh, goal itself. So it all goes back to being trustworthy, trustworthy, but yet it's a moment of change and there's a lot to offer from a 5.9. Personally, I never tell anyone, but the personal reason, I was 41 years old in 2017 when we founded 5.9 ST Ventures. 41 plus 5.9 is 100. So we hope that we can be like those Chinese always say, a 100-year-old shop or business. So that was the reason. Wow, I didn't know that there are so many things behind that number 5.9. So thanks for sharing that. I'm quite fortunate to ask that question because now we know so many things behind the number 5.9. So Jim, you also mentioned the topic of our conversation is supposed to be redefining A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I thought I'm going to a kindergarten class or something when you said that. So maybe for the audience here, can you explain a little bit what do you mean by redefining A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Yeah, sure, sure. I think for those who are in the technology world, A, B, C, D probably can be quite familiar with some of you. I think three or four years ago, NUS, where I was a fellow in the School of Computing, we also launched ACE program, which I'm a fellow with ACE, Advanced Computing for Executive, where Prof. Alexel is the director as well. So we actually launched ACE and we actually talk about A, B, C, D, which is AI, blockchain, cloud, and data. So many people talk about ABCD. But then I was talking to my niece and then I started realizing that actually they are watching YouTube videos which actually keep on singing ABCD, EFG. And there are some redefinition of that as well. So to me is that, okay, maybe we should relearn, right? Not just redefine, but relearn what is ABCD, EFG. Because we hear about these nursery rhymes since young. Everybody knows how to sing. We sing for our children and our children also learn. But if we just say A for apple, B for boy, I think that's a bit of passe. We can match the young people or the young things that we learn together with the more senior people. That's why we want to kind of redefine or relearn our A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I've done a couple of seminars a few years ago before COVID on this topic. I try to make it less technical because I always feel that why we want to relearn ABCDEFG is that technology is really impacting our daily life, sometimes without us knowing. And it's important that we start understanding or relearning what is ABCDEFG. And many people I know who are not techies, not from ICT industry, some are business, some are accountants, some are marketing, 
but they always feel that, okay, let's leave the technology to the IT or ICT people. I don't need to know. But I also realized that no, actually in the future of business or future of work, it's very important to know about technology, whether you are technologist or not. What we are seeing in many companies that I work for or work with, the people, whether you're an accountant or someone else, you need to use basic technology. Some of them even need to use slightly more advanced technology like AI chatbot for customer service, like blockchain when you want to do a digital certification. So there are many usage or use cases of technology that a non-traditional, non-techy people needs to learn and know how to use them. So that's right. where we want to redefine and relearn. So you mentioned the four alphabets, A, B, C, D, which are for AI, blockchain, cloud, and data. What are the E, F, and G? Okay, E, many people will think of it as e-commerce. So that's where many of us start from. Whether you buy from Amazon, you buy from Taobao from China, and of course in Singapore, Shopee and Grab and many others, they are kind of e-commerce platform. But you also know if you are in the techie world, even if you are not, you probably also realize Grab wants to be a super apps. What is super apps? Super apps means e-many things. It can be e-commerce, e-delivery, e-finance. So all these are the e. If you talk to some of the tech companies, tech giants like Huawei, like Amazon, at the end of the day, they look at E as an ecosystem building because you need the tech companies who build applications, build infrastructure. You have the people who want to consume these services. So ecosystems of partners, of infrastructure providers, of end consumers, ecosystem of corporations become very important. So I will define E moving from e-commerce, e-health, e-payment, e-whatever, all the way to ecosystem. So that's E. FG, I kind of want to make it rhyme. So there's a lot of talk for the past few years, even till now, about 5G. So FG goes very well with 5G. And I'm one of the lecturer and course leader who created many of the courses in NUS on 5G. So let me repeat those again. A is for AI, B for blockchain, C for cloud, D for data, E is for ecosystem, and FG is short for 5G, right? Okay. So if you don't mind, let's go through one by one, the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. What do you want to redefine for AI? Because AI is like hot these days. Everyone is talking about AI and ML. Usually they are together, AI and ML. So what do you think that people need to be aware of on this AI? I think in today's world, before we even start about what people need to know about AI, I want to share again, like what I always say, ABCDFGY, I think everybody needs to know is because it's affecting our daily life. So I don't know whether, Henry, are you using any of the AI function today in anything that you do in your daily life outside your work? I know you work for tech companies, but outside your work, do you use AI in any sense? Yeah, sure. Certainly. In fact, as of this moment, I'm using AI to block out the background noise. Sometimes my home is not so quiet, so I use that software to actually help me block out noises from my background. Yeah, interesting. So you're techie, so you're definitely a user of the technology such as AI. But a lot of people I talk to, like some of my family members who are accountants or lawyers, they always thought, no, la, AI is so advanced, I know nothing about AI. Yes, I know AI is robot. People always think AIs are robots, but I always want to change this metaphor. It's not. AI is not robots. You watch Terminator, yes, maybe the brain has some AI component, but definitely robots and AI is not equipped. Robots probably is a physical form of some AI algorithm inside, yes, but it's not always equipped. The other thing is that many of our phones today, I think people know, is that it has AI capabilities. 
whether is it from AI to help you to take the picture nicer and focusing on, let's say, smiley face or something like that. These are AI use cases for photograph taking. Some of the phones, like some of the more advanced Samsung and Huawei phone, you can actually flash your camera on, let's say, some food and it can show you calorie. So there's another AI applications. And also you can flash on goods like a shirt or t-shirt or maybe a bag. And AI will pick that up and start comparing across the internet to find who are the ones offering and at what price. So these are all AI that unknowingly we are actually already using in our daily life from using a phone perspective. Of course, I think the other case is that some of us have smart home, whether is it the Google or is it the Xiaomi. We are all using voice control of curtain, aircon, turn on, turn off, TV and all those things. So again, many of this have the AI built-in capabilities for us to be able to do that. So these are all AI already in daily life. And of course, the more advanced one is to go into enterprises where the most common one is AI chatbot. So Singapore is doing that. If you are a telco subscriber, let's say myself is a Singtel subscriber, you use AI chatbot to do some of the customer service. But what impressed me is about three years ago when I was in China, I take TT. TT is like the Grab in China. Wow, their AI customer service is fantastic. It basically can solve all your problems just talking to an AI. So the AI chatbot capabilities is really there. So these are what we already use and see in our daily life. And let's move into the more enterprise usage, which again, for those of you who know, AI has many applications in many different industries. The more common one, again, that we may be using as a consumer is AI in financial sector. Many of them are fintech related. So you have your robotic process automation, which is something like automation of data entry work. So that is part of using AI. I myself use a robot advisor in some of my investment. So that's again using AI algorithms to look at your past data and then analyze what's the best investment based on your risk profile. I think a lot of people confuse a little bit between data analytics and AI and many other things. So yes, one of the key things for AI to work is you need data. The data will help you to really program it using the algorithms to look at what should be the actions to be. So in the olden days, I would say five to maybe seven years ago when AI doesn't really have a lot of use cases yet, Many companies come up with what we call actionable insights. So data is there, you do analysis, and you always need to be able to use the data to do something. And that's where the word actionable insights come about. Today's world, people are more familiar with AI already, together with machine learning or deep learning, which is the learning capabilities that's built into the algorithm of an AI machine. That is where people are working on AI. The other key one that I'm doing a lot today is healthcare. In the healthcare industry, again, from the most basic one, from a consumer standpoint, you look at AI triaging. Singapore Telehealth may not have so much yet, but the one that are globally quite well-known like Babylon Health and the one where I came from, Yang Good Doctor, are the top two global AI telehealth company that actually do what we call AI triaging. So you will answer a list of questions about your profile, your health profile, and then the symptoms. And then at the back end, what really happened is that in healthcare, what we do is we chart out what we call clinical pathways. So we will say, okay, if you see symptom A, B, C, D, E, response A, B, C, D, E, and all this, you mix and match into a large file. And then those data start collecting. And then you will have a clinical pathway to deduce that based on the response to the questions that are being asked. You are having diarrhea or you're having dengue or you're having heart problem. 
So this is where AI use a lot of data to mix with the algorithm to come up with an outcome. So these are just some examples of using AI and there are many more that will be coming out from facial recognition. Actually, to tell you the truth, in China, now primary school students also learn Python programming. <laughs> so I used to learn what we call further maths, integration, differentiation, a lot of those formulas. But we learn maths for the sake of learning maths. But in China, they put all these F maths, further maths into AI. They start explaining how AI and the maths are linked very closely together. So that was quite impressive. And I thought it was a very good idea to learn about AI from there. And of course, AI, we all know that facial recognition, voice recognition, basically is a pattern recognition. It's very good to use AI to start studying and come up with an outcome. So that's the whole thing I want to briefly share about AI. It's all over the place in our daily life already. There are many, many enterprises or industry already using AI for various reasons, and there will be more and more that will be coming up. It's very interesting, like you mentioned a couple of cases which I wasn't aware of myself, but now that you said it, actually, I realized, oh yeah, AI is behind all of them. And we will probably see a lot more cases seamlessly integrated in our daily lives without us knowing, because there are so many technologies these days enable you to use AI easily. In fact, like some cloud providers also provide tools and technologies for us to just tap into rather than building ourselves. So a lot of people these days still think AI is a complicated thing. What are the use cases that I can use for AI? Even some of them like afraid their job will be replaced by AI and robots, like you mentioned in the beginning. So what's your view on all those? How can we embrace more use cases where we can apply AI and about the concern from people about AI taking over our lives? Okay, that's quite a common question. Even when I teach AI in school, that question always come up. But of course, today's world, you may hear about this term called ethical AI how to use AI in an ethical way. So there are many considerations. First of all, if it is a mundane task that is repetitive and all those things, to be very honest, just like we have gone through so many industrial revolution, just a few years ago, we say we are in industrial revolution 4.0. So definitely there will be some work that's going to be replaced, especially those that are mundane, repetitive, because you want to spend the human brain power to do something more creative and meaningful to improve the way that we are going to live. So definitely those work will be replaced. It's just like industrial revolution one or two, division of labor, where you actually put people to do packaging in a supply chain or a production line that is slowly being replaced by automation as well. So AI replacing work really is nothing to be afraid of. It will come just like how we survived through in the past more than 100 years through so many industrial revolution. And second thing is that I think how AI can work together is that you don't need to be an AI expert to work with AI. As I mentioned just now, you can be a customer service person, but you know how to use AI chatbot to get your work done. Is AI chatbot going to fully replace a customer service officer? The answer is no. So again, it goes back to mundane and repetitive work for now and ethical use of AI. So it's a balance of many things. Today, I may be talking to an AI to get my basic queries about my bills from a telco, for example. But if there is any dispute, yes, AI may be able to handle some of it, but there may be a need for human intervention. For example, okay, this is a highly loyal customers, or this customer is raising his voice, or maybe this customer, I really want to give something special because I'm running a promotion now. So that's where human intervention will come in although you can also program it with AI. But if there are too many permutation combination and a balance of keeping the work for the human, that's where you will access the cost versus benefits. So this is an example. And as I mentioned, the other key thing about AI is people are worried about data. 
because AI needs a lot of data. Are you constantly 24 by 7 under watch of an AI machine? I think it's called Skynet in Terminator movie. Basically, Skynet is AI watching over you. So is it good? Is it right way to do? I don't think there are good answers yet. So there's a lot of considerations on that. Capabilities is there, but why today we are not all under uh, watch yet? Because there's ethical use, there's a human part of thing to be considered. Same thing if you watch Iron Man. Iron Man has Jarvis. Jarvis is actually his AI partner. I don't know whether you may watch some of the episode where Tony Stark actually scolded Jarvis for doing something more than what he's supposed to do. So again, capability is there is how you want to balance that with ethical use of AI itself. Yeah, I'm sure going forward, we as a human will come up with more and more solution with AI and also the important part, which is the ethical part of using those technology for good. So let's move on to the next character, which is B, blockchain. Many people associate blockchain with crypto. <laughs> a lot of hype these days because of the Bitcoin prices increasing and also decreasing a lot. So maybe you can shed a little bit of light here. What are some of the technology from blockchain that people should be aware of? So I think... Yes, Bitcoin actually maybe for good or for bad, people always link blockchain with Bitcoin. But it's actually more than that. We all know that. So even Bitcoin is a form of cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin doesn't equate to cryptocurrency by silver. For those of you who knows a bit of cryptocurrency, there is also EduCoin. There is also many other different type of coins, which some of that industry specific. So I have EduCoin myself, which in the education sector, people come out with that. So to some extent, to make it in a layman term, Bitcoin, you can consider them as like vouchers or point systems that you actually can use it. But of course, this one has a trading kind of things. So that's actually the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Blockchain itself has a very, I would say, large use cases and applications of that technology. Today, we are not seeing a lot of it because a lot of it is subsumed under Bitcoin. People are overwhelmed with Bitcoin that they forgot what blockchain is really used for. When I was in Korea six years ago, there are some use case that was presented by Korea Telecom about blockchain for food safety. We actually call that things like from farm to mouth or farm to table. So in the whole supply chain of the food chain itself, it actually started from the farm. Let's say your fruit trees or your vegetable farm. It has to go through packing houses. Then it has to go through transportation. It has to go through maybe even cross-border where many of the agriculture may not be in, let's say, in Singapore. You need to go to Korea, China, Malaysia, and then you need to process some of this. You go to the distribution center, then go to supermarket and reaches the customer on the table. So this chain itself has got at least seven to eight middle points. So the capability of blockchain is really to ensure that every of this chain or every of this node or point no matter what we use it, has the safety consideration inside. So how do you know the food, the fish or the vegetable or the fruits that you are going to eat next is safe? Did it get contaminated along the way or not? So that is where blockchain can track the entire safety chain itself of the food distribution from farm to table. And how does blockchain do it? What is the technology used in blockchain? It's actually what we call in techie world a distributed ledger. So there's a lot of information sharing and you cannot actually change the record in that whole chain itself. So if today I say, okay, from farm to a packing house, who is sending it, the date, the time and the quantity, the volume, and even maybe the shape of the fruits, all this information will be stored in a chain from the farm, which will be passed to the next node, which is the packing house. So people cannot just change the record like you would do it in a normal system where you do data entry and so on and so forth. 
So blockchain actually is secure from that angle. And then it's open enough. It's like very similar to the new digital world that we always talk about P2P. So like GPS is giving you information, but there is this thing called Waze, which was an Israeli company that actually has a lot of P2P information. So I have so many people giving or telling me that, okay, there is a jam on ECP. You cannot just suddenly say that there's no jam on ECP. So it's very similar concept to that technology as well in the blockchain world. So these are some of the things that blockchain can offer. I believe, I think NUS or some of the institutions are using what we call digital certificate as well. There were a time where people can forge their decree certificate. And yes, you can bring back to do what we call certified true copy, go to the registrar and do that. But how certified true copy is that the signature can also be fake. So I think universities are trying to do digital certificate from the time that you complete your studies. You'll go straight and you will lock and you will endorse that this is the correct one. And people can download and get a copy of that. So this will help to prevent all these forging issues. So by the same token, not just your academic certification, it can be your product certification and many other things. It can be your trademark registration, can be your patent, which is used a lot. So these are all the potential use cases of blockchain where you need, even in insurance industry, people are looking at, can I use blockchain to make sure that the insurance that I sign all the way to subsequently the claims and other things are correct. Of course, it also can go into the media industry where in the olden days, we look at things like digital rights management. This can also be done in a blockchain manner. And the most recent one that I'm doing is similar to healthcare insurance. So same thing, you want to buy an insurance, you want to submit the claims to the hospitals. So you're trying to blockchain entire patient journey of interaction from getting what we call a letter of guarantee from the insurance company. How can hospital think that, hey, this is the true LOG from an insurance company? And then after that, the person do the operation, you want to claim. So you go and get bill and you can go and get a hospital letter. So the insurance company want to pay you the claim. But how do they can ensure that this is not forged? This is the correct insurance claim. So a lot of all these things, depending a lot on manual human handling, and they may be a possibility of forging documentations. And that's where the whole thing is being proposed as a blockchain now. And nobody can really go and forge anything along the way. So this is a very good use case of blockchain, if you ask me, all outside of Bitcoin. So yeah, now I know a little bit more use cases apart from the crypto and the Bitcoin. So hopefully more and more use cases can be used for good for blockchain. Let's move on to the C, which is cloud. So many people in enterprise as well using the cloud technology. And also our phones enable a lot of cloud technologies as well. For example, saving your files, your photos, and things like that. What else to redefine here in cloud? Just like AI, a lot of people think cloud is very complex. Why do I want to put onto cloud? What is cloud? It's an ICT thing. But again, I always like to remind people, you are using cloud in your daily life. When we have a Gmail account, when you want to go to Google Drive to store your videos and your photos, that is using cloud already. It's a cloud storage capability. And then you do collaboration using Google Docs. That is cloud capabilities. So those are already happening to us, which we may not know. Some of you may be using Microsoft 365. That is what we call software as a service. It's a true cloud as well. The most common business model of many of these applications is what we call starting as a freemium. So you use as a freemium. And if you want to get better quality services or software or capabilities, you pay. And that's where the subscription model, whether monthly, yearly, for a SaaS software as a service come about. 
So again, these are some of the very good examples of cloud that we are using and some of the non-techies may not know that we are already using. Of course, if we look at cloud itself, in the enterprise perspective, you may buy many computers and some of that serve as your server. So that is the way that on-premise actually work. The same goes to data center, big data center where you have a lot of servers and storage inside. But in the cloud way, for the enterprises, you probably no longer need to buy a server. Some of you may still want to do it for various reasons, but logically, you do not need to use it. So we always think that cloud technology should promote SME business, reducing CAPEX and controlling OPEX pretty well. Unfortunately, a lot of SME may not be tech savvy enough. So all the SME are not really exploiting or exploring the benefits of what cloud technology can bring to them. That's something that I'm trying to promote quite a lot with some of the Institute of Higher Learning and even some of the government agency because we really think that there's a lot SME can benefit from going to cloud. But the same old concerns that people will have about cloud security. Every day we hear about hacking of this cloud and that cloud. But again, hacking can also happen for your server and your on-premises. It's always there, just that because a lot of time, all this will handle by the IT departments. But in cloud, a lot of the IT functionality are in the hand of the actual business users. So people start becoming worried. I'm not IT trained. Hey, I got hacked. What should I do? But that is where you have many of these cloud companies. They are also very focusing on tech security to make sure that's okay. Another very common question that I'm always asked. Oh, I put all my customer database on the cloud. My competitor also use your cloud. They will see all my customer. I will lose all my customer. So again, that's not true, right? The cloud providers, whether it's in the Western cloud or the Chinese cloud provider, they all treat data security and intimacy very well because that is their bread and butter. So I don't think that needs to be worried. And if we look at cloud, I'm sure those Takinos, we have public, private, and hybrid cloud. I'm also in the Cloud Security Alliance, Singapore chapter. Apart from looking at cloud security, we also do a lot of research area. And one of the research area we are going to do this financial year by our research director, who is the CTO of one of the local conglomerate, is to look at hybrid cloud. Because we realize that many people start with private cloud in Singapore many enterprises and slowly and steadily the public cloud is getting some traction but then we also realize that okay you have these two cloud now especially for let's say government agency i want to maintain my privacy and for all my intranet or, or internal enterprise applications but i need to start exposing my services to the public the e-services that people can do in the digital government world whether is it through one motoring for land transport or is it through telemedicine health app like Health Hub that is linked to clusters of hospital. So you need to have the e-services extended to the public. You cannot keep everything in a private cloud. So that's where a lot of mixture in a hybrid cloud manner is going to happen, not just in Singapore, but all around the world as well. So that's from a cloud perspective. For those who don't know what's cloud about, we already shared some of the living example of cloud, mainly in the storage and application area. For those who are very familiar with cloud, one of the key trends we are seeing, apart from security, is definitely in a hybrid cloud manner. So that are some of the key things I would say that we should be aware about cloud in recent, I would say, months or years even. So having worked in the cloud business model as well, in one of the cloud providers, I'm sure like the target market for this cloud is still very large. In fact, many people from enterprise point of view may not be putting a lot of things on the cloud. So I'm sure we will be getting more and more enterprise going into the cloud just to tap into the capabilities. And yes, you're right. Probably the hybrid cloud model and also the security will get into play when that happens more frequently. 
So the D stands for data, if I'm wrong. Data has been around for many years, if not decades. So what do you mean by redefining data here? So like you say, data is very common. We all have some kind of data. All our profiles are some form of data. Of course, when it comes to data, in the tech world, people usually link it to big data. So what is small data, big data, mega data, or whatever? So just very quickly, that's what we call unstructured and structured data. Big data really is trying to analyze through many of these different types of data and what we call C of data to be able to get, again, like I mentioned just now, actionable insights. So this is some part of a big data analytics. And of course, the other keyword is people always say data is like the future oil where you need to do like oil refinery. You need to get the data, which is the raw material. And then you do refinery, which is your, whether it's analysis or so and so forth, to be able to use the data for some purposes. So data, I think it's a very simple concept. With all this information, like the different form of the data, we can extract, we can analyze, we can refine it so that we can use it for all the things that we have just talked about. AI, you need data for AI to really make something meaningful out of all the applications. Blockchain, not many people link blockchain with data, but yes, Blockchain is also trying to chain or ensure that you have a secure distributed data flow of things as well. So you also need data inside. For cloud, again, what's the purpose of having cloud? It's basically because your data becoming enormous and then you have to do a lot of analysis itself. So the cloud provides, whether it's the storage or the computing power for the AI algorithm to run on different big data itself. So this is actually where data actually adds lots of value to the whole technology world. And of course, we haven't talked about EFG and I can even extend all the way to HI, JKL, whatever. I can be IoT. So things like this is that there's a lot of data involvement in different forms of the technology. Later on, we can briefly also talk about data. How is it going to be like in the ecosystem or the e-services as well as in the 5G? So let's go with the ecosystem. You touched on it briefly, like a few minutes back. So because people used to think about e-commerce or e-electronic something, for example, electronic payment, all the e-services that are available. But you're talking about the importance of putting them together into like ecosystem. Does it mean yeah. that everyone needs to create ecosystem on their own? Or how do you judge between being part of an ecosystem or being the creator of the ecosystem? So like you mentioned, it is always starting with e-something, right? E-commerce, e-learning, payment, e-transaction, e-whatever, e-health, right? So that was where all the electronic something happens and take place. And why I want to redefine e from all this, which are still valid, if you ask me, depending on the countries or the industry we talk about. So some countries are not there yet, so they can still talk about e stand for e-commerce. Some countries are more established like in China. Today, nobody will go and talk about e as e-commerce in China because that's like a given thing. But in whole of China, people are looking at ecosystem building. So I was just talking to uh, Huawei Cloud people this afternoon. Ecosystem building is very important because it's linking to even things like cloud. So, I mean, of course, the Western cloud are very established, AWS, Google, and so on and so forth. And Chinese cloud like Alibaba is also quite established. But Huawei Cloud doesn't really have a big market share globally yet. And they just formed a cloud and AI business unit like a few years ago, I think two years ago, and now picking up a hot steam on that. So it's very important that they want to show, let's say I want to sell a Huawei Cloud. Very important to have an ecosystem building because in a cloud world, we actually call them sellable services. Why do enterprise want to go to a Huawei Cloud versus, let's say, an Alibaba Cloud? There must be enough targeted sellable services for me to use. 
So for example, let's say I'm a healthcare provider. I'm a private hospital. I want to choose a cloud to onboard myself onto. I will look at which of this may have sellable services for me to use, plus things that are in a six ecosystem. Let's say, for example, Huawei Cloud has five tele-diagnostic startups who can provide either integrated three-in-one SPO2 blood pressure and ECG monitoring. And today I'm a telehealth platform or I'm a private hospital. I want to get that services. So of course I can buy from the company, but today's many of these applications or services are already on some form of cloud. For example, if this company only is available in Huawei Cloud and I like it so much, then I will onboard myself to Huawei Cloud so that I can use it. So this is what we call the ecosystem building. Today is an ecosystem selling even for cloud. That's why you can see all the cloud providers, the more established one, always have my use cases and also buy by the industry solutions. That's where the enterprises are really looking at things, no longer just on the simple compute and storage cloud usage. Ecosystem building is very important for cloud and for many other advanced technologies. It's interesting, like you see it from the point of view, like cloud provider. But how about the SMEs or the people who are not into the cloud? Is there any significance about ecosystem for them? So again, SME is not so cloud native or cloud ready yet, unfortunately, although I think they should. But how I would sell or how I would advise SME is... For example, I was talking to someone and we quote the example of Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean is in Singapore selling soya bean kind of food. And in many MRT stations, they have that. It's to some extent an SME. So they can benefit from cloud and they can benefit from ecosystem building. Because I was listening to a webinar by the founder, the chairman, just a few months ago. He was saying that, okay, due to COVID, they were never doing e-commerce. They need to build an e-commerce for that. So they were trying to choose a cloud provider for that because it takes a long time for them to buy their servers and build an entire e-commerce from there. So they can use all the IASPS capabilities in the e-commerce, in the cloud itself to build the e-commerce. But they also thought of, hey, I need my ecosystem because I need distribution, I need delivery, I need payment. Yeah, I can go and build all these things myself, but it's going to take time and money. So if I can go onto a cloud, which has an ecosystem of partners who offer payment solutions, who offers delivery solutions, someone who offers supply chain tracking, all these things which Mr. Bean, when they are in the traditional retail selling in the MRT station, do not have. But until they move into an e-commerce kind of way, all these ecosystem of partner solutions really benefit them a lot. Save time, save money. So this is a very simple example of an SME going cloud and leveraging on an ecosystem play to really help them to grow their business. Definitely makes sense. So now we move to the last one, which is the 5G, the FG. So it's a pretty promising technology. Many people are talking about it. There are so many use cases probably will be unearthed because of this existence of 5G. There are some countries who have adopted 5Gs, but I'm sure I haven't seen the whole potential how I can use 5G for myself and also for many people. So maybe you can help us here to redefine what would be the future with 5G enabled more widely. Okay, this is a hot topic, but maybe before that, Henry, if I can ask you, what is the generation you are in? <laughs> when you first start using, are you a 2G person or 3G or 4G? Actually, the technology 2G was widely available during that time, but I only started having handphones since 3G. 3G. So you don't use the Nokia 3210? Uh, I- I use it, but it was not mine. So it's my parents. (laughs) Okay. Nice, nice. Yeah, so we always joke about all this 2G phone. 
you have a representation, right? Nokia 3210 is a very famous one. But now you probably see that Nokia doesn't do phones anymore. <laughs> so that's how fast the technology world is moving in the telco world. I think people always link all this 1G, 2G, 3G, all the way to 5G with just phone capabilities. And I think many people today may think that 5G is all about faster speed, faster download speed. And I can watch my video much faster. I can download my video much faster. I think that's what people are expecting of 5G. But if we look at it that way, for 1G phone where people may remember what we call the takata phone, like a big water bottle where you can even hit someone. So that is enabling the mobile technology. So you can do mobile communication instead of your home fixed line phone. So that's 1G. 2G is like the Nokia 3210 where the killer application is SMS. So everybody remember when 3G, 4G come, everybody say, what's the killer application? Nobody knows. So SMS was the hottest killer application in the 2G world. Actually, I started using it was 2G world. I actually implemented when I was in Accenture 3G in Singapore. I implemented 4G in Taiwan. So there was a lot of learning there. 3G was very interesting because then we start to realize, hey, can do data, mobile data. So I can surf internet, although not fast enough, but I can surf internet. So just now we talk about data again, right? So data is a time where 3G actually does a lot of good for data, where really you make full use of data and making it meaningful and mobile. So 3G is a world of data or internet. And 4G is a world of video. So that's where we start saying, stop putting static websites or putting apps that are just photos, but you need to do video. Yes, we have YouTube for longest time. YouTube was surviving on internet, on website. But later on with 4G, with better data, you actually can go into video streaming and a lot of all these apps and social media. That's where WhatsApp in the 3G world also killed the IDD call. Who still use an IDD call nowadays? So things like this, and that's probably precisely the reason people think, oh, it's all about faster speed because that's what happened from 2G to 3G, 3G to 4G. So 5G, yes, it will give you better speed. But as I teach my students in 5G, if you say you attended my 5G course before, you only need to remember trading. If you forget everything, remember trading. There's this thing I call it 5G capabilities triangle. So there are three capabilities that 5G will offer to us in this world. One is what we call EMB, Enhanced Mobile Broadband. So Enhanced Mobile Broadband, this is the one that gives you your faster speed, better throughputs and everything. If you take five minutes to download something on your 4G phone today, tomorrow takes you less than one minute. So yes, this is the one that we will get. And this one, we will even extend it further into ARVR because you will be able to do 3D looking, doing virtual reality games and shows, doing smart tourism. So that is where EMBB capabilities offer you. But there are two other capabilities that 5G can offer that 4G cannot. One is what we call MMTC, Massive Machine Type Communications. MMTC is something that is very similar to IoT today, Internet of Things. For those of you who know what is Internet of Things, it's actually in layman terms, a lot of sensors connected with each other, even in your smart lampposts, that kind of thing. They will turn on, turn off according to the people walking by, walking by or the smart metering that you have in your HDB flat. So those are IoT. So in future world, we are seeing that there will be more, especially in Singapore, we call it the smart nation. And in some of the companies, we call it connected world. So you are going to have a lot of these sensors, like from a home is a smart home, talking to each other, to a larger city that's talking to each other. So there are so many things, so many communications, so many data that needs to be communicated here and there. 
And that is where the 5G capabilities enable. Is You can imagine 5G is like a pipe. This is a big enough pipe where you can have many data, a lot of data that is going to float around inside and be able to contribute to this massive machine type communication. Because if you have a small pipe, the pipe will get choked. Not just human talking to each other. Now machine are also talking to each other. So that is MMTC. The last capability is URLLC, Ultra Reliable Low Latency Connection. This is again something special for 5G because from a simple case of VR gaming, you may get giddy because your latency is high. The latency not low enough, you will have some delay, for example, and people may feel giddy. So by the same token, there are a lot of remote work that can be done. In the healthcare, it will be like remote surgery. In other industries, it can be remote education. How to ensure that it's very smooth? Like when you play a video on Zoom, there is latency. It's not as smooth over a normal network. So 5G enabled ultra low, reliable, low latency that you can do a lot of this remote work without delay. And it's very important because you imagine autonomous driving. Your delay in communication has to be sub-millisecond. If it's too long, you may hit the person and kill the person already. Remote surgery, same thing. If I'm going to do Singapore with, let's say, a small rural area in one of the rural countries, if I have not enough good low latency, my one second here may translate into one minute over the other side and the patient may die already. So these are the things that ultra low latency is very important. So 5G is a big topic. There's a lot we can talk about that. But I will just say that as a beginner and even as a key takeaway for 5G, Know this thing called 5G Capabilities Triangle. It was from IMT20 and three key capabilities, EMBB, Enhanced Mobile Broadband, MMTC, Massive Machine Type Communications, URLLC, Ultra Reliable Low Latency Connections. Wow. In my mind, I can already think there are so many things that maybe the future, what we saw in movies, will be enabled by the introduction of these 5G more widely in our daily lives. Thanks so much for sharing all this. I know our time is reaching to the end. So maybe before we end that, just one last question that normally I ask all my guests. So Jim, do you have technical leadership wisdom that you want to give to the audience for them to think about and maybe adopt in their lives? Normally I would ask three. So do you have three technical leadership wisdom? Yeah, sure. Maybe the first one I would say not many people will think about is communication. <laughs> A lot of people think that we are techy. Techies, you just need to go the techies way, which is accuracy and build systems and implement things. But for us who have done digital transformation, business transformation, run large complex system integration project, it's actually all about human communication. Of course, in future, you need to add in machine type communication. Communication is very important to ensure that whatever thing that we're trying to do from a technology world is communicated. Communication is two-way. It's not just I tell you something. So it's communicator is told and understand by the receiving party. So I would say communication is very important as a tech leader. Don't just go the techie way. You need the communication. Then the second thing I will think about is just like any leaders, you need to be bold enough and daring enough to try new things. Today's world, there are many, many new technologies like what we go through ABCDFG and there are many others, even things like quantum computing and many things that are coming out and then the EV and all those cars. So you need to be daring enough to try new things. And some of this may turn out to be not well. When I first started the Good Doctor, it's very difficult to convince Singapore to do AI triaging because we still want to do video calls. 
But I can tell you, I launched Grab Health in Indonesia within six months. <laughs> yeah, so I think the willingness and daring to try something new, of course, considering all the risk factor, is very important to keep innovations going for technology players. So in this case, that's where we also see, apart from China, we can even see people like Middle East and to some extent Africa leapfrogging the technology because they don't have so much baggages and legacy as compared to some of the more developed countries. So they are more daring and willing to try. Actually, uh, when I was in Huawei, there's a company in Kenya, a telecom company. So the digital payment in Kenya is very, very established, much more established than all of us outside of that country. So I'll say willing and daring to try new things so that you can leapfrog technology is very important as a tech leader as well. And the last but not least is when we talk about AI just now as well and the data is the ethical side of things. And I will want to mention ethical and social side of things. Gels back with what I want to do as 59ST Ventures. So don't just do technology because it looks cool. Don't just implement technology because it looks cool, it's fun and all those things. Those are important. But at the end of the day, we should always think back how this technology can help people. So for example, I'll say this whole year or last whole year, I was focusing a lot on elder care. Not many people are focusing on that. People are asking, hey, these people are elders. Yes, we have an aging population. We have a silver tsunami. But why do you want to do technology for elders? First of all, they may not know how to use it. Secondly is that your ROI may not be very high because their lifespan is not as long. <laughs> yes, to some extent, yes. But at the end of the day, if you want to have a better society, you should look at how technology can help to bring a better well-being to the society. And elders is one part of it. And we are all going to be elders one day, right? So to a more selfish note, I'm also trying to see how I can build technology for elder care so that I may be the one who can benefit from it when I grow much older in a couple of years' time. So I think, look at how technology can bring good social benefits to the society and the well-being of humans. So these are my three, I'll say, key takeaways as a tech leader. So thanks for sharing that story. I think the story of the social goods for the elders, it means a lot, especially, yeah, I'm thinking that I'll be going through that age myself. So having those technologies available by then will be great as well. So thanks, Jim, for all the time that you spent. So if people want to connect with you or know more about you, is there any place online? My LinkedIn, so you can search for Jim Lim, you will be able to see that. You can Google me, whether Jim Lim NCS or Jim Lim Huawei, you'll get a lot of my contacts. And of course, I'll pass you my personal email as well. You can email me, shenmin, S-H-I-E-N-M-I-N at gmail.com. Thank you again, Jim. It's a pleasure to have you in the show. Thank you very much, Henry, for your invitation. And very nice talking to you, very interactive. Thank you for listening to this episode and for staying right till the end. If you highly enjoyed, please share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave me your valuable review and feedback. It really, really helps me a lot in order to grow this podcast better. You can also find the full show notes of this conversation on the episode page at techlyjournal.dev website including the full transcript, interesting quotes and links to the resources and mentions from the conversation. And lastly, make sure to subscribe to the show's mailing list on techlyjournal.dev to get notified for any future episodes. Stay tuned for the next Techly Journal episode and until then, goodbye.